And I'm going to ask uh, that the air be... chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Reckless love. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to read a portion of the scripture that wasn't read in your hearing that is a part of the passage beginning in verse 26 of chapter 1. For well, you see your calling, brethren, that, many, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that it is written, he who glory, he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for encountering worship with us today. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. For the preaching or the message of the cross is to them who are perishing foolishness, but unto us it is the power of God who are being saved. If you are anything like me when it comes to selecting sneakers to work out in, you know it's difficult to maintain a body like this one. Amen. Amen. God looks at the inward man. Mm-hmm. I just happen to be overwhelmed when I'm looking for sneakers. In fact, the last pair I got, uh, Brandon ordered them for me, and they sent me a size 10 female that had been worn. <laughs> I guess they were saying I wasn't going to use them anyway. There's so many different types of uh, sneakers or tennis shoes and back when I lived in the South. There are sne sneakers that are strictly designed for basketball. There's some that are made for walking and running. And then there's sneakers that you just buy for styling. You don't play basketball in them. You don't run. You don't walk. I mean, after all, if you purchase your Nike LeBron 
nines for $7,500, you ain't going to be running, walking, and jumping in those. Or if you wanted to step up to the Jordan 1s, black and gold edition, for $25,000, I don't know if I'd take those off the shelf, really off the screen. <laughs> Maybe you want to go a little higher in your selection of the variety of sneakers that are out there where you go after the, the Nike Jordan 12, the Ovos, the Drake addiction, for $100,000. Now, there are actually sneakers that are even more expensive uh, that are connected to Michael Jordan's name. Uh, the ones that he played in when he had the flu went for $147,000. With the, with the toe jams and everything, $147,000. Now, if you want a pair of sneakers like I do for cross-training, for less than $120, I let my children buy my sneakers. <laughs> that you can run, play basketball in, you can walk and exercise in. Uh, you need to be directed to a certain part of the Foot Locker store uh, to purchase your cross trainers. How many of you know that fitness is a $30 billion a year industry. And most of us, uh, if I would ask you to show me your Fitbit, uh, you probably have one because you're counting your steps, or you should be. That's why you brought it. And uh, it can tell you your heart rate, uh, do everything but become a companion to you. You're a little lonely at night. Doesn't do that for you. Not yet. But cross trainers are uh, very, very effective for people who are doing low maintenance kinds of things to take care of the temple of God. How many of you know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And the Bible says, if any man defiles the temple, that temple. So we should take care of our bodies. But I, what we read in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, the Apostle Paul speaking about the last of the last days, he says this about bodily exercise. He said, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, the having, having the promise of life that is now as well as the life that is to come. What the Apostle Paul says about physical exercise, cross trainers that help us to do the variety of things that we need to do to stay in shape, he says it does have some profit, but the value, even though we put most of our attention on our physical appearance and health, he says at best it is of little profit because it's temporal. Amen, church. Amen. The Bible says the outward man is perishing, 
but the inward man is being renewed day by day. That's why we don't pay most of our attention to what we can see, because everything that you are looking at right now on the level of the five senses is passing away. So keep working out, but understand that it is of little profit as it relates to having eternal value. But there's another type of cross-training that has eternal, everlasting value and is profitable. He says that the out, while the outward man is training, says, uh, but the, this other type of cross-training uh, is profitable having the promise of life that is now because the, the profitableness of the kind of training that we're going to talk about today, cross-training, will go with you into eternity. That's why the scripture says, what shall it profit you if you gain everything this world has to offer, but you lose your soul? There is another type of cross-training. Tell somebody you need some cross-training. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we are invited by the, by the Spirit of God, again, to look back in time some 2,000 years ago at a church called the Corinthian Church. Back then, there was no such thing as Baptist, Episcopalian, Methodist, Church of God in Christ, uh, I love you, Lord, church, none of that. If you lived in Corinth, that was the name of your church. If you lived in Philadelphia, it was the Church of Philadelphia. So everybody that went to a church in Philly was a part of the Philadelphia church. So he writes to this Corinthian church, and he addresses them because like many churches today, they had lost their way. They were busy doing church stuff. But in the midst of their busyness, they had lost sight of Christ. It was like the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus is watching the service, watching the worship, listening to the preaching. And he said, behold, I am standing outside of the church, and I'm knocking, but I can't get in. But if you allow me in, if you intentionally, on purpose, premeditatively open up the door, I will come in. So we don't want to assume just because we're gathered in a place called the church with the church that Christ is necessarily here or welcome. Because in this Corinthian church, they were so busy doing everything but keeping Christ as the focal point that they lost their way. Now what Paul does, this, I want to just lay the foundation. He, he says some things before we get to verse 18. And the first thing that he said, he reminds the church at Corinth, the believers, not just the people who have their names on the church roll. He reminds them of what they possess in common. He says, you're saved. That is, they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through faith in his completed work. And then he says, you have been called to be saints to be hagias, to be set aside, we call it sanctified. 
And the word sanctified is not a curse word or strictly a Pentecostal word. It means to be set apart from sin unto God. You're saved. You're sanctified. And he says, spiritually gifted church, every single spiritual gift to serve the Lord is present at the Corinth church. And he says in verses 9 and 10, in verses uh, 8 and 9, he says, you are also a second coming anticipatory church. You expect Jesus to come back at any moment through the clouds. That's why Jesus said before he left, be so ever ready, be always ready for such a time you think not, for the Son of Man will come again. And so this church was a second coming conscious church, saved, sanctified, all of the spiritual gifts. And then he focuses on the issue that was in the church. When you get to verse 10, they had a problem. This was a carnal corral. This was a rough church. This was the kind of church, brothers, if you're married, you don't want to take your wife there. They might, you might, might, not, get, might not leave the church with her. First uh, Corinthians chapter 5 talks about the incest that was in the church and all the other types of sin that was going on in the church, and these folks were saved. They were saints who were acting like they ain't. Amen? And so then he addresses the real issue that was distracting the church. They were focused on style and status of the leaders in the church. They were following men rather than God. Some were saying, I'm, a, I'm of Apollos. Paulus was a contemporary preacher. I imagine he was, probably had this, you know, those, those, those jeans that fit your skin like great. He would have, had, he would have been perfectly buff. He, was, he would have been a pastor that would have appealed to a younger crowd because he was a contemporary preacher. Some said, I'm a Peter. Peter was old school. He was actually one of the disciples who followed Jesus. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Peter didn't, mm, I know the Lord, I can make a way out of no way. Somebody know what I'm talking about. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they liked Peter as an old school preacher, if the brother didn't bring it home by hooping. I'm a Peter. And then there were those who were more attracted to Paul's style of preaching and teaching and leadership. Because he was a seminary graduate, and before he preached his sermons, he would give you the four-point outline and talk about the exegesis of the passage, and he would talk about the, the agreement of the subject and the verb, and hey, man, they just go wild on a preacher like the Apostle Paul, seminary graduate. I'm a Peter. I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. And then there were some in the group that said, we ain't following no man. We follow Jesus. I would say that would be the more charismatic type of group. They liked the church where everybody was speaking in tongues, being slayed in the spirit, and folk prophesying over you, and folk running up and down the aisle, and talking about, God told me to tell you that you can be healthy, wealthy, and happy in the name of Jesus. I declare, I decree, it's gone, it's dead, and it's no longer here. That's the kind of church that some of them were attracted to. And so they spent so much of their energy focusing on men that they lost sight of what really mattered. And so Paul said, did I die for you? No. He said, let me, let me help to re, 
Calibrate your thinking. Let me help you to understand as those who name the name of Jesus what this thing called the Resurrection Sunday is all about. What is this whole reason for us to even come to church? He said, let me bring you back to what matters to the foundation of what Christianity is all about. We need some cross training. And so the Apostle Paul spends verses 18 through 25, even all the way through chapter 2, directing our thoughts on what it means to be a cross-trained believer. And what he's going to share with us, let me give you four points like the Apostle Paul would have given. (laughs) The reason we need to be cross-trained is because the message of the cross makes no sense. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 9, it makes no sense. The second reason we need to be cross-trained, and I ain't talking about your sneakers, is because the method that God uses to communicate the message makes no sense. The, The messenger, or the method, I should say, that's verses 20 and 21. And thirdly, we want to consider the fact that The manifestation that reveals the message from the method makes no sense. The manifestation makes no sense. How God reveals this thing, it don't make no sense. I wouldn't have done it like that. Then the final thing we're going to consider in verses 23 through 25 is the material God uses and chooses makes no sense. It makes no sense. If you were choosing the team, the the team that God chose, are you still with me? Amen. Praise the Lord. The message of the cross makes no sense. We're told in verse 18, for the message of the cross, in the old King James is translated preaching, but the Greek word is logos, and therefore it's better translated message instead of preach. Later, it's translated kerugma, which is the word for preacher or proclaimer or heralder, which is uh, later in the chapter. So the correct translation would be the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is what? The what? The power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now, this last part of the verse in verse 19 is a quote from the Old Testament. So what Paul is saying there is that the message that makes no sense, that is foolish to those who are perishing, it ain't new. He said, I didn't make this up. It was prophesied way back in the Old Testament by the prophets. So let's stay with me. Now, what is the message of the cross? And let me just be honest with you and don't laugh at me. Whenever I thought about a cross growing up, what came to my mind was a good luck charm. (laughs) You want good luck? You want God to be on your side? You want to hit the number? You better put on the cross. Walk some of the the dangerous areas that I had to go through in North Philadelphia. You better put on a cross. (laughs) 
I also thought it was a nice accessory to match your clothes. If you had on black or white, a nice gold cross or silver cross, you just finish that hook up like you get to throw your cross on. Oh, man, you, you, that bling, that was my bling bling. It didn't cost me $2, but it was my bling bling. The cross was something that you used to repel vampires. You know, if they were coming at you and it was dark and it wasn't, you got no sunlight, you take the cross. The sun, you know. Amen. Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. That's how you get rid of vampires. I also looked at the cross as a part of the preacher's uniform. Usually on Sunday, the preacher had on a big old cross around his neck. And I wonder why he would never lift his head up. Probably that cross was kind of, he's like, oh, man, Holy Ghost, help the brother. It was also, in my mind, a symbol that meant she or he is religious. And even before we called them logos, the cross to me was a logo. So if you saw a cross somewhere in a stained glass window in the hood, because they didn't have no crosses on top of the building, but if you saw a cross from a distance, that lets you know that right there somewhere there's a building where people worship, and they call it the church. So the church was a symbol, was a good luck charm. I bet you some of you still think of the cross. <laughs> Where's your cross at, Brother Tim? I know you got one. <laughs> but let me share with you the real meaning of the cross. When the Apostle Paul talks about the cross, he's not talking about that emblem you wear around your neck with a crucified Jesus hanging. But the cross has to do with the perfect, sinless Savior. Say perfect, perfect. Sinless, sinless Savior, Savior, whose name is Jesus Christ, God's only eternal Son. Stop right there. I'll finish it all. Who paid the price for our sins, eliminating the penalty and the power and the guilt when he rose victoriously over death and the grave. And that victory becomes ours in terms of our experience when we exercise faith in Jesus' completed work. So when we talk about the cross and understanding the need for un to, to have a clarity on that, we are speaking of Jesus, who he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we, through his death, might have deposited into our spiritually bankrupt account. Some of us know what it means to be bankrupt financially. There ain't nothing in there. Well, spiritually speaking, we were born separated from God. Our account was empty. But when Christ took our place on the cross, he was paying for the penalty, the power and guilt of sin. And when we place our trust in what he accomplished on the cross, now he's not still on the cross. Thank God for Sunday. Resurrection means that he had victory over the grave, that God was well pleased in his sacrifice. God's wrath has been satisfied. He is no longer angry because the Bible says that the wrath of God is on demonstration against all unrighteousness and everybody who holds down the truth. But thanks be to God that Christ 
was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, by his stripes, from hanging on Calvary, we have the healing from the greatest disease of all that separate us from God. That's sin. That's sin. He has personally carried the load of our sin in his own body when he died on the cross so that we can be finished with sin and live a life of victory in the presence of God. One of the things that happened when you give Jesus your life based on what he accomplished on the cross for you, now you don't have to live under sin's domination. You don't need to be going around talking about the devil made me do it. And so the message of the cross is the most foundational teaching of all of the Bible relating to Christians. If there's no cross, there's no salvation. There's no forgiveness of sin. And so the message of the cross, the Bible says uh, there are at least two, two responses. But before we get to those responses, let me help you understand this. Some of you have heard this before. I love my grandmama. I loved her. And I wanted to give her a birthday, birthday gift, and so I decided, being a broke child, that I would help myself. I didn't call it stealing, but I stole my mother's four watches. In all the years of my young life, I had never seen my mother wear a watch, but she had jewelry. How is it that a woman, when something of hers is missing, <laughs> even when they never wear it, mention it, they just feel when it's gone. So I steal these four watches. I put them on my ankle until I can get to my grandmother's. Of course, she's not going to ask any questions. And my mother comes home, the first thing she says, where are my watches? And at that time, my mother was raising three of my, four of my cousins whose mother had died. With, she had 10 kids, and we spread the kids around. She had four of the 10, plus my hard head itself. I had a cousin named Cephas who had a, a sticky finger issue. He was a, he was a, he was, he was, he stole. And if the glove fits, you can't quit. <laughs> so it was assumed that the glove fit. So my mother went to wailing on Cephas. <laughs> this is pre-child abuse. Plastic bat and all. It must have been about an hour. I got tired listening to her. I mean, she was just tearing him up. I'm in the bed under the covers just listening to Cephas getting it for her. Give me my watch. I know you stole it. Where is it at? I'll kill you if you didn't just. I mean, it's just like, what's terrible? I felt, I felt bad. <laughs> I got so tired, I started to doze off. I forgot the watches were on my ankle. Somebody knocked on the door. I said, Howard, answer the door. I get up to look out the window, see what it is. And my mother sees these four watches. Help me, Jesus. Guess what? I was covered. She was so exhausted <laughs> from beating my cousin Zevis 
that she had no energy left to deal with me. I want you to know that Cephas did not voluntarily take my woman. But Jesus, God's only begotten son, his eternal son, when he hung from that cross, he was taking what we rightfully deserve. He took your stripes. He took your beating. He was wounded and bruised for you and for me. He could have come down, but he refused to come down because he was looking beyond the pain, looking beyond the shame, and he saw. Salvation for you and me. Now, there are two types of responses to the message of the gospel. To one, it's foolishness. The word in the Greek literally means we get our English word moronish. It's moronish. It's crazy. The, the message, it makes no sense that somehow somebody dying can save somebody who's alive. It's stupid. It's observed. It's, it, it's illogical. It's insulting to our intelligence that somehow you can be made right through somebody's death on a cruel cross. So that's one response. Then the second response is, and there are two kinds of people here. You're either in the first group, it doesn't make any sense, or you're in the, are you in the uh, second group. He says, but unto us who are being saved. It is the power of God <laughs> unto salvation. So there's the, the first group rejects the cross. The second group accepts it. And there are two different consequences. One group, even though they reject it, the Bible says they don't realize that they're perishing. And that word perishing has this idea that when you breathe your last, you don't die when you finally in your course physically, when, your body, when the breath leaves your body. Because the Bible says we were born in sin, dead in our trespasses. When you were born into the world, there was no spiritual pulse. You were spiritually dead, separated from God. So we walk around like zombies. We're alive physically, we're breathing, we're talking, etc., but separated from God because of sin. When we physically die, what happens is the soul... The spirit man separates from the body. And the Bible says there's a point unto man wants to die, to be separated from the body. But after this is the judgment. And so what happens to those who are perishing, you go to your grave owing a debt for sin. And the consequence of that debt is eternal separation from God. But he says the second group is salvation from the guilt, the penalty, and power sin. For unto us, it is salvation. Somebody say amen. So the message of the cross has two different responses and two different consequences. How many of you uh, remember the Wizard of Oz? The best version. Oh, some of you don't remember. Okay. Anyway. When it was black and white, it wasn't in color. The lion who had no courage, the tin man who had no heart, the straw man who lacked a brain, a.k.a. And Dorothy and Total just wanted to get home. So they make their way to Emerald City. They get there. 
And when they get there, the Wizard of Oz, who's a fake and a fraud and a perpetrator, he gives the lion courage. Lions walk around with his courage. Then he gives the strong man a brain, and he gives the tin man a heart. But in all that, the hustle and bustle of giving them what they wanted, the uh, air balloon that he's in takes off, and Dorothy and Toto still there. They can't get home. But then she gets a message. And the message is, you have a way home, and you're wearing it. If you simply click your heels and say, there's no place. Help me out. No place. No place. And so until she heard the message, she didn't know that there was a way home. <laughs> now, even though the message didn't make any sense, it probably sounded like foolishness. It was idiotic. It was irrational. Click your heels and you can go home. Click your heels and go home. All I know is that when she accepted the instruction from the message, she found herself clicking her heels and saying, there's no place like home. There's no, and before you knew it, Dorothy was back home. Now, we ain't going to Emerald City. <laughs> but there is a place that's not made by human hand. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and where I am, you can be there too. Don't click your heels, but you need to place your trust in the foolishness of the preaching of the cross, and you'll find yourself on your way to the place where Jesus is. The message of the cross is foolishness, but also the method Somebody said the method. Verses 20 through 21. Where is the wise? Where are the teachers of law, the scribes? Where are the philosophers of this age? Has not God made the wisdom of the world foolishness? Here, here he's saying, Paul said, I'm calling all of you guys out. The scholars, the intellectuals, the ones with the highest IQs, the ones that we look for for answers. He said, go get the best teachers, the most trained, the most skilled. Go get the philosophers, the eloquent ones. Go get the ones who are skilled in debating. And he said, what you're going to discover in their methods, with all of their intelligence, man can't lead a single person to God. Because there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of that way is the way of what? Death. Because the natural man cannot receive. If you're unsaved, you don't have the spirit of God. You cannot receive the things that come from God for their foolishness. It makes no sense. And he said, because you're lacking, the person that doesn't know God lacks the spirit of God. But then it says, but God is pleased to communicate the message through the foolishness of preaching. Here's how God, in all of his wisdom, to confine the intellectual and advancements of man, he said, it pleased me to demonstrate the power of God through preaching. Do you see that? That's in there. I, I'm, I'm trying not to be too long-winded today. It's in there. Trust me. When you get a chance, look at it, okay? Now, what's interesting about the method that God chooses, the word for preacher here is not strictly for people that are full-time or have a call in their life. But so anybody who is saved, the Bible says, Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. 
You are to be a witness, a proclaimer, a herald, an announcer of the good news. That's your job as a believer. So he said, God has chosen, is pleased to use people like you and me to tell others about him. But then there's a more technical use that Paul gives about who the preacher is. He says, the preacher is the person that's described in 2 Corinthians verse 7, chapter 4. He says, God has chosen the preacher who is an earthen vessel to deposit the treasure of the good news. Now, the earthen vessel was a very inexpensive plastic pot. Sometimes people had expensive jewelry in it. Sometimes they used it for trash, but most of the time it was a porta potty. That's what he said. When God describes preachers, he says, you are my personal porta potty. Now, nobody goes around and say, my toilet is better than yours. And I, I want you to come to my house. I'm going to show you my toilet. And, and I'll see your toilet. And, and he says, ain't nothing special about the toilet. He said, I have entrusted in these earthen vessels, these porta potties. Here's what makes the preacher special the mystery of the gospel. It's what's on the inside. And so it, the, the, the method that God uses makes no sense because he calls the, the, the source of the method, he says, they're porta potties. But in the porta potty, in the preaching, in the preacher, there's this treasure, there's this word that I put on the preacher's mouth. That's why you need to come to church and hear the word of God because God deposits on the mouth of the man of God his word so that you will hear exactly what you need to hear in such a way that it seems like the preacher's been reading your email. The method makes no sense. Porta potties? We call preachers porta potties. But be careful how you treat the porta potty, because the treasure is in the porta is, is in the vessel. Let me run on. The manifestation is also makes no sense. The Bible says that the Jews look for a sign. Prove that you're the resurrected Savior. Prove that you're the Son of God. Prove to us you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, the only sign that you're going to see is when you take my life, I'm going to raise it up in three, three days. And the reason why they wanted a sign is because when Jesus started talking about the cross, the Bible said it is a stumbling block to the Jews. That word uh, stumbling block, comes, it means it was a scandal. It was, you know what scandal, the movie, the, the program scandal? It was scandalous. It was shameful. It was, a, it was viewed that if you weren't on the cross, if you were Jewish, it, was, it meant that God was cursing you. So it made no sense to a Jew that a Savior would come and die on the cross. The Greeks wanted to be persuaded by, 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 by debaters, etc. And then the Bible says, but what God has done, he has put on display. The greatest demonstration of his power was on display when he allowed his son to hang on the cross and bear our sins, that was the greatest evidence of God's love for you when he allowed Christ. And so what they were looking for, for, they were looking for a miracle, a sign to be persuaded. And God says, my greatest sign was when I let my son. The Bible says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died. Christ died for you. That's the greatest sign of the power of God on display. The greatest miracle God still is performing is the fact that Jesus took our place. Somebody say amen. We're done with this. We're done with this.
the material that God uses. The Bible says he chooses, stand with me, he chooses and uses the foolish things of this world. He uses the weak. He uses the despised, the rejected. He uses the people that lack education, those who are not well thought of. And it doesn't mean that God is against education and people that are, are renowned in their professions. But he says, if you consider when God chose you and selected you, there were not many who fit the categories that I just described. He said, God will take a nobody, make them into somebody to confine those who think that they're everything. And so when the world looks at that and says, wait a minute, how is God changing the world? How is God using the cross? He, he, he must not know how to pick an army because he picked us. I used to play baseball. Whenever I picked a team, I picked the fastest runner, the best hitters, the best catchers, and, 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 the, and the guys who knew how to play the game. Because I wanted to win. But when God picked his team, he picked you, he picked me. And still he wins. Amen. He still wins. The material God chooses makes no sense. He selected you while we were yet in our sins. Christ died for those who had no strength. We deserve divine judgment. I remember a preacher sharing. He learned that he had Lauren Gerald cancer, very rare form of throat cancer. And he had tried every available treatment to address his very aggressive cancer. And then he was told about this hospital in Houston, Texas, that took the worst cancer patients, who had the rarest cancer and the most untreatable, and he agreed to go. And when he got there, they didn't give him much hope. They said, you're going to do radiation, you're going to do chemo, we're going to do surgery, and, but we believe that the new experimental drugs that we have, you're going to survive. And so what he noticed was that the patients that were there and actually survived and were successful in their treatment, on the day they were leaving the hospital, they would be wheeled out of the hospital and there would be a long corridor and at the end of the corridor would be a bell. And all of the patients that were still going through the treatment would come out of their room sitting in their wheelchair as this victor victorious, cancer-free patient is now being rolled towards the bell. And he'd get to the bell, and then he would ring the bell. And once the bell was rung, everybody would stand and applaud, and they would celebrate because his ringing the bell meant that since he was able to be victorious, there was a chance that they, too, would be able to celebrate. 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross to deal with an incurable disease that we possess called sin. Those who stood around the cross said he saved others, but he can't save himself. 
come down if you be the son of God. He hung there with the nails in his hands. His, his head slumped in his shoulder. And he cried out, Father, Father, why have thou forsaken me? Ultimately, the victory cry was into your hands. I commit my spirit. I want you to understand that at that time, Christ was getting in that chair. <laughs> he hadn't gotten to the bell yet because it was just Friday. But then, then Saturday came. He's still moving towards that bell. And by the time early Sunday morning rolled around, the Christ who died on the cross, he rung the bell. And because he now had the victory over sin in the grave, we can all celebrate that we don't have to go through what he went through because in him, in him, we have the victory over death, the grave, and even now, the power and the penalty and the guilt of sin. I hope you got some cross training today. Amen. Somebody say amen. He rang the bell. He rang the bell. He rang the bell. Amen. With every head bowed.